Welcome to Being at Work. I'm your host, Andrea Butcher, and I'm so inspired by today's conversation. My guest today has faced the kind of physical challenges that I cannot relate to, but I'm so uplifted and encouraged by because of how he recovered from those challenges. He says that the things he learned from his recovery can be applied to overcoming anything. And you'll see how all of it relates to his leadership today. Jeff Mittman is the CEO of Bosma Enterprises, an organization that's on a mission to create opportunities for people who are blind or visually impaired. I've been fortunate to come alongside Jeff over the last year as he transitions the organization and culture around some specific strategies. And what I most admire Jeff is his ability to always see a path forward. He says, when I meet an obstacle, I immediately look for a path around it. Listen in to hear how his story has developed this incredible spirit of resilience. I was uh, born and raised here in Indianapolis. And then when I was 19, I joined the Army basically to pay for college. And I ended up spending uh, about 22 years in the Army. But the last five and a half of that, I was in, uh, I was in, in and out of medical care. I was on my fourth combat tour in 2005, and I was hit by a roadside bomb. Uh, in, in Baghdad, Iraq. The explosion left me uh, almost completely blind. I lost my nose, I lost my teeth, damaged my arm, some other injuries. And I woke up a month later at Walter Reed in Washington, D.C. with my wife speaking to me. And the first person I ever met who had any significant loss really was myself. So I wasn't quite sure uh, at the time what to do or how to move forward. And uh, I started uh, looking around for other people who had kind of gone through the things I'd gone through and, and met some significant people or the correct people along the way to help me out. And, and I've gone forward with my career. And, and here I am today, the CEO of Bosma Enterprise. What a story. So first of all, thank you for your service. Oh, thank you. You're worth it. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine waking up a month later. What, what was that like for you? It was confusing. Uh, looking back on it now, I, I imagine it had to be a lot harder on my wife. But at the time when I woke up, I didn't know. I couldn't walk, talk, or see. And uh, my wife, I was tied to a bed. Uh, they were bringing me out of a coma, and I was tied to a bed. And I could just hear my wife's voice. That's my first memory of waking up. They tried to wake me up for a while, but that was my first real memory is her kind of speaking to me. And it took uh, probably about, I would say, a good two weeks for me to kind of come out of that fog and really understand what had uh, happened that day. And we'd been attacked and I was injured. And, and uh, my first thought was my children. I didn't know where my children were. I was confused. So uh, I remember asking my wife and she tells a story, but asking my wife were, if the children were okay. I just wasn't in reality yet. So I thought I'd been hurt. I didn't know where the children were, but not realizing I'd been hurt in Iraq, you know. So that fog of coming out, that's really confusing. It took me a couple of weeks to really get out of that, come to terms or the realization of what, what had happened. I can't even imagine what that time frame would have been like. Of course, you were confused and in this fog. And, you know, you said you were on your fourth combat tour when this happened, hit by a roadside bomb. I'm just curious, like the events leading up to that roadside bomb incident. Did you know you were in danger? Had you anticipated that something like this could happen? Like, had, or do you prepare for that? 
yeah, you prepare for it. So I was an infantryman, so I was always out and about, and I would guess danger, I would say danger, but you're in that combat environment, so you're you're prepared for it. And quite frankly, after four tours, I wasn't too surprised once I came out of everything that I got hurt. You know, sometimes it's just a number, right? Your number came up, you got hit. So uh, we were out, uh, I was linking up with, I was an advisor to the Iraqis, and I was linking up with some of my Iraqi partners, and we were attacked on the way to meet up with them. So it was, you know, it was an ambush. So, yeah, no, I don't say looking back, it's not a surprise, you know, that I know it was going to happen at that moment. No, that's why it was an ambush, right? That's why they called it an ambush. So, no, I, I, yeah, it was, it was looking back on it. I don't have any memory of it. I was hit on July 7th. My last memory is July 4th of that year. So the prior three days I have no memory of. Wow. So that was just, it's just gone. Yeah, it's just gone. It took me about a year to realize that too. I was talking to one of my partners who got hurt with me and he was talking about a mission we went on and I kept arguing with him. I wasn't on that mission. He goes, no, it was the day before we got hit. And so it took me a year to realize I didn't remember the three prior days. Yeah, I bet there was a lot of things you uncovered over the months of your recovery. Right, yeah. And speaking of your recovery, you know, when I, when I was talking with you recently about a pivotal moment in your career or a pivotal time in your career, you know, you, you very quickly said, well, it was my recovery. So it's, it's not the incident itself. It's your recovery. So tell us about those months, years of recovery. Well, I woke up, like I said, that after that month, and it took me a little while, as I said, to to kind of gain an idea of what had happened. And then my first thought was, I was uh, I had a wife and and two children. What was I going to do now? You know, the the army doesn't have a whole lot of use for a uh, blind infantryman who lost his trigger finger as well. So I had to start thinking about what I was going to do, and I I started, as I said looking around for people who had experienced similar incidents like myself, you know, who'd lost their vision, who'd been injured. And I was fortunate enough to link up with uh, some other veterans who'd uh, been through uh, similar circumstances, who had lost their vision, uh, the Blinded Veterans Association. And I remember going to a uh, a conference there uh, with the BVA at their national conference. And there was just this room full of, of veterans who had lost their vision, some in combat, some later in life, but they were all there and just talking to them, you know, some were teachers, some were, were politicians, some were business owners and realizing that there's a life forward. You just got to find that path. You got to get around that obstacle. So seeing that, seeing that other people had done it, I knew I could do it. I just didn't know what the path was. You just have to find the path. So I find other people who had walked that path and really looked at that and then trying to do things that people wouldn't expect me to do. Like uh, when I, like I said, when I got hurt, I lost my nose, my teeth, my vision and, and it was scarred up pretty, pretty well. So I basically got my face blown off and I thought I got a call one day from somebody who wanted me to do a public speaking event. And I said, sure, why not? So the very first thing I did outside of recovery was to start doing public speaking as I was going through surgeries, as I was going through reconstructive surgeries, as I was going through all of this. So I tried to do the unexpected and find a path forward. And that led to me meeting more people and the ability to network and find employment when I finally did retire five and a half years later. So 
it was that that path that's kind of uh, provided me the life I have now. And uh, I always say I'm the luckiest man in the world because I not only survived, but uh, the my recovery's been a valuable. Uh, it's been a good life. It's, I mean, it's a good life. Period. So my injuries don't define me. So I have a good life. I have my wife, my children, and uh, career, and, and and everything else. So it's just been. Uh, it's been a blessing, the lessons it's allowed me to teach my children, the lessons it's allowed me to share with others. It's been a blessing. Well, and it's really remarkable how quickly you were able to use the situation to help and inspire others through public speaking. What, what was that time frame? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I was hitting no Five, it must have been, uh, I think I started doing TV appearances within uh, a year later and then some public speaking within probably 18 months, 20 months, something like that. That takes a ton of courage. And I, I suspect it was also part of your healing that telling your story and inspiring and uplifting others, I suspect that helped with your recovery. Yeah, I think so. I think everybody needs a purpose. So that gives me an outlet, right? So I get to tell my story. It's not held inside. It's uh, shared. It's a shared experience with people. So I allow people may not ever go through what I went through, but I think some of the lessons I've learned along the way allows them to take into their own life and they apply it to whatever situation they're in. It doesn't matter if it's financial, if it's divorce, whatever. They can apply some of those lessons I learned to their situation and, and take what they will from from my story and apply it to what benefits them. And your mindset, Jeff, around, I knew, like you said, you said, I knew I could do it. You knew there was a path forward. You just didn't know what it was. I think like, gosh, as I listen to that, I mean, I think about how transferable this situation is really to any challenge because I bet a lot of people, they shrink the challenge. It's they, they walk away, they deny it, they withdraw, they like get in bed and take a nap. But you like really like went for it. Well, I still use my military language. I attack problems, right? I attack it. Uh, avoidance only makes it worse. I could sit at home and do nothing, but then here I am 16 years later in the same situation I was the day after I got hurt. I wouldn't have changed my, I think I have an you know, internal locus of control. I, I think I can control my future and, and what I do. My actions lead to the benefits or rewards, the negative side as well. So I think most people do have the ability to kind of determine their own future to a degree. So what would you say to someone who says like, I have no idea what the path is. I don't even know where to start. I feel so stuck. I think you have to realize that you're not the only one that's ever been stuck. So I have to find somebody else who has been, I guess, unstuck (laughs) and Find out what they did. That's that's what I did. Like I said, I started talking to the the BVA, the Blinded Veterans Association, and looking at all these guys. And they went back to school. And I, you know, I didn't understand assistive technology at the time. I didn't know anything about it because I'd never lost my vision before. So when you learn those things and you learn what's possible, then you just take advantage of that. You take advantage of the people you meet along the way. Uh, not take advantage of them. You take advantage of the lessons they can teach you. And then you uh, you start moving down that road one foot in front of the other. So it's not a it's instantaneous by any means. It took me five and a half years just to get out of medical care, let alone really launch a you know new path forward or a new career. So 
it's just a matter of networking, really. We talk about networking on the employment side all the time, but you can network to solve your problems as well. Well, and putting yourself out there is another thing I hear. I mean, because you, you did, like one of the first things you said that you, you realize is, okay, other people have been through this. I need to find those people. Like find your people that get it, that understand it, that can inspire you, that you can learn from. But, but that takes action on your part, doesn't it, to reach out to those people. You have to take the step forward. You know, helping somebody, somebody has to want to be helped. So when I'm on the other side of that equation, I guess I had to realize I need help. Uh, I need to find that out. I just need to find the person who knows how to do it or the people who know how to do it and then take their lessons learned and take what I will from it, what applies to me, and then apply it to my path forward and create that that way to recovery really i guess that's what i always and and it really is recovery because i always talk about in my speeches that each time i give a speech it's another step down my road to recovery i don't know if i'll ever finish it but i'm moving forward so it's it's just another means of of getting there oh gosh i don't know if i'll ever finish it but I'm moving forward. That and, and that's the goal, isn't it? Is to keep moving forward, not worrying so much about the outcome or the the finish line. I don't worry about a finish line. I don't have an end goal in mind in my life. I find end goals sometimes. Now, there may be intermediate goals, but an end goal I don't set because some I find that limiting. Because once I get there, what the hell do I do? So <laughs> there's got to be something past that. Uh, until they put me in the ground, there's always something else to do. But you are a visionary leader. I mean, you are someone who casts a vision and gives gives people something to point towards. What's the difference? Well, those are intermediate goals. So uh, here at Bosma, we set a new three-year strategic plan. Well, there's another plan after that. <laughs> there's another plan coming down the town the pike. So that's that's the attainable part, right? Measurable. That's what we're shooting for by this date. And when we get to that date, we're going to have another one past that. So that's the I just keep going. I mean, that's that's the direction that you're headed in. That's the direction. You set the direction. You set the uh, purpose, motivation, and direction. This is why we're doing it. This is how we're going to do it. And this is why it's important to you. And 99% of the time, they'll get it and they'll get you there. Um, it's a matter of once I provide my team the vision, they develop the plan and execute it. All I do is keep them in within the left and right boundaries. I set the parameters. They execute. So, Yeah, I've gotten to, I've been so fortunate over the last year to get to see you empower your team. I mean, you're because you're a leader who has said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna change the culture a bit. We're gonna we're gonna rally around these strategic initiatives in a way we never have to serve the people that we serve." And I've seen you empower leaders by equipping them to actually execute. You're not just telling them to do it; <laughs> you're equipping them along the way. When I set a standard, I try to set the standard, educate to the standard, which would include providing the tools to meet the standard and then hold people to the standard. Um, because if I do those three things, if they don't meet the standard, then they kind of decided not to on their own. So I can't hold somebody accountable unless I equip them to meet that standard. 
Right. You can't hold someone accountable for an expectation you haven't set. So you're really clear. You're really clear about that. Yeah. So, so connecting the dots, we started talking a little bit about Bosma, whose mission is to create opportunities for people who are blind or visually impaired. And so no doubt it's a very personal mission for you. What is it like, like leading the organization as a CEO, leading an organization around something that is so personal for you? Uh, it gives me great joy in watching our employees or our clients accomplish things. Um, it's a kind of an inner joy that I may not always express verbally or by action, but I take, I guess, quiet joy in watching other people accomplish. Now, I praise them and everything else, but there, there's an inner joy for me to watch them accomplish things that they may not have thought they were able to do in the first place. But when you equip them to be successful and then you see them be successful, that's where the, you know, that's where the true accomplishment is, or that's where true joy comes from. Well, and that's got to be so personal for you because you can so relate to that. I mean, because, you know, speaking of your clients, you get a lot of people who have just been told that they're losing their vision or they had no idea what to do. Right. They're in the same situation I was when I woke up. That fog you described. Right. So that just not having a clue which way to go or what to do. So when you provide that, you see people who succeed, you know, they come out of a program, they go to college or they come out of our program and they gain employment or they, I've got employees who come here to work, you know, it's their first job they've ever had. And, and then what, then the watch them move up through an organization because they've learned to be successful. They've figured it out. So when you see that, you see somebody who's gone from a, say a volunteer to a VP is, is pretty incredible to watch. Yeah, and that's really, it's really the mission right there. That's the mission in the whole, you know, we got, everybody has a mission statement. That's a mission in action. Yeah. And there's, and there's so many stories that you could tell. I mean, it's so fun to walk through the halls of the office because the, you know, your office is, is equipped and set up to support the visually impaired and how they navigate through the building and, I just, I love hearing the stories and seeing the photos on the wall and just being there. There's a feeling of that. There's a feeling of empowerment and like, almost like this is our place. I don't know. There's such a feeling of ownership I get from your employees and your team members. Right. There's a deep seated commitment here from, uh, from our employees, not only to the mission, but I guess to each other and uh, the organization as a whole. And you see that because this is where a lot have come to, A, they come here to to be a part of the mission or they've come here from whatever by whatever means and it's provided them the opportunity to be successful and quite frankly, leave independent lives, to lead independent lives. So it doesn't do me good to be dependent on something, to learn something and then be dependent on another organization. But if I'm, you know, if I'm employed and I'm working, I'm taking care of my family, I'm now independent. And to see that and to see the joy it brings and quite frankly, the loyalty to an organization because of that opportunity is pretty incredible to watch. It is. It's really fun to watch. And it's fun to watch you lead it too. How, how are you using all of the lessons learned that you shared from your recovery? How are you using those things in your leadership today as the new CEO of the business? I, I think you talk about the, the possible um the like any organization an organization could get set in its ways 
because it's been doing things a certain way for 20 years or 40 years or 100 years, whatever it is. And I think when you change directions and there's always bumps in the road as you do that and you change standards or you set new policies in place or a new strategic plan, whatever it is, there's always those bumps in the road. And people are wondering, are we going to be able to do it? Are we going to be able to do it? And the lesson I've always taught is you celebrate the small wins because you don't always recognize them along the way. You may see something happening like, oh, well, that's not that big a deal. But when I do five or six or seven of those things that aren't a big deal, that becomes a big deal. Because now what you're seeing is when they're repeated, you're starting to see the culture change. And highlighting that so people understand that can communicate that. That becomes the new way of doing things. (laughs) And you start to see that over time. And it takes a long time. I I truly believe it takes probably about three years to change culture in an organization. And celebrating those wins, highlighting those wins so people pay attention to them. And then all of a sudden that becomes the normal thing to do. Success becomes normal. The change becomes normal. It's not a new thing to anybody. Because that change is not a straight line, right? There's ups and downs and frustrations along the way and understanding that mistakes aren't the end of the world. I make mistakes. I probably made 12 today already. So it's understanding that moving forward, I, if I don't move, I can't get anywhere. If I move forward, I may go the wrong way, but I can always change directions and understanding that, that it's okay to move forward with a little bit of not the whole answer about where you're going, but you have to move to get wherever you're going. So you have to start moving to begin with. That's something I've noticed is that that communicating where you are is important to you. So one of the things I've noticed, like in your holding people accountable, you just want to know where people are so that you can support them along the way. And I think there's a good lesson learned there for leaders because a lot of the times, you know, oh, I don't want to bother the CEO or the leaders around me. So I'm just going to keep going. But then people don't know what you're working on. Like be communicative and share your progress. And if you're not able to hit a deadline, talk to me about why. And I'm never going to fault you for that, but communicate where you are. Right. No, I have to know the obstacle. My job is to remove obstacles. If you don't identify the obstacle for me, I can't remove it. It's your job to execute is my job to make it easy for you to execute. And um, that's hard. Nobody wants to bring the boss bad news, right? But I don't view it as bad news. If you have an issue, we can work together, find the path around the obstacle and get get to where we need to go. But if I don't know, I can't do that. So it's much better to come early. And, you know, if you've made a mistake, it's okay. Just say, hey, I made a mistake, but here's my plan to fix it. Yeah, that's such an important muscle for leaders to build. It's hard for people. It's very hard to say, I made a mistake. I don't want to tell the boss I made a mistake, but it's all right. I think the only, I guess, unforgivable mistake is a lack of effort. Well, and in a culture where people are engaged and feel such a personal passion, like that's probably not going to be the case very often, right? No, it's not. You know, uh, but, you know, any organization has a certain amount of turnover that needs to take place. You got to make sure your hiring process is correct. You got to make sure people are on board with the new vision, right? And you don't run into it much. But, you know, on occasion you see somebody and you got to say, hold on a second. (laughs) But it's like any other organization. Well, and what about people who aren't on board with the new vision? How do you lead through that? Well, you have to get them on board. Everybody has to be moving in the same direction. They have to be. So they have to understand. 
it goes back to setting the standard. Here's the standard. This is what you need to do. I hope you get there. And holding them accountable so there's a process. You know, if if I set a standard, everybody needs to meet the standard, or it's not fair to the ones who are really trying. Because when I when you set a when you set a standard, it's not to and sometimes I talk about discipline, but I don't mean discipline in a in a negative sense. I mean discipline in, in the form of doing the right thing. And if I ensure everybody's doing the right thing, then you start to see the teamwork take place. You start to see people communicating more. When you don't adhere to a standard or you don't hold people accountable for a standard, then there's a lot of resentment that grows because the vast majority of your people are trying to do the right thing, but then they're watching somebody who's not get away with it. And that's where you really run into trouble. So setting a standard, holding people to it, you'll see the teamwork build, the accountability build, the communications build the motivation build and they start working across organizational lines and they start thinking of the team instead of self. And that's, that's the important part. That's so good. I get, I get all of that. You know, here's, here's a question as we're talking about, you know, holding people accountable and holding them to the standards that have been set. So I have been a part of organizations and I've seen many times where there's this lack of accountability as you know, everyone's really, really nice, but that's, that's, there's a lot of dysfunction in that, particularly because that doesn't, that doesn't help us rise. That doesn't help us grow. And so I suspect that there have probably been people like, wow, like Jeff's really harsh or he's harder on people or how do you balance that? like building connection and trust and relationship with holding people accountable? You know, there's always a standard, there's the work going on, but I also tend to be very visible. I walk around, um, you know, one of my VPs tells me all the time, I always see you walking around. I said, well, I got to go see what everybody's up to. Let them see me. There's also the personal side. Sometimes I pop into the office or I pop into production and I literally purposely do not talk about work. Because it's important that people see me not just as a CEO, but they see me as as Jeff and somebody who's approachable. Because if I'm approachable and then I start to hear what's going on, I start to get a picture of what's going on. People aren't afraid to use the proper channels to communicate with me. They're not afraid of repercussions for the bad news. They're not afraid of saying, hey, Jeff, I need to talk to you about something or telling their supervisor and then send it up the proper chain, whatever the proper process is. But when they see me out and about and I'm there, they know, A, I'm a part of the team, B, I care about them, and and C, that they can bring things to me when necessary. So you're intentional about doing things to build trust and show that you care. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's, you can't be a leader if you don't care about people. So, and they have to understand that. So when I, it's much easier if I've got a a personal connection with somebody for me to correct them than it is when it's strictly professional boss to subordinate, because they understand I'm coming from a point of caring, not a point of punishment. Well, and you're holding them accountable because you care about them. I mean, because that does inspire growth and that makes them stronger, makes them better in the end. Absolutely. They, they understand that it's, uh, it's me trying to make them better. And, and that's the point of, of when there is a, uh, an issue, 
you sit somebody down and you're focused on the action, not the individual, I guess. Um, and you're talking about, hey, we did this or, or you did this or your team did this, whatever it is. And let's think about what we should have done, what was supposed to happen and how we can do it better. Because when we learn from that, the next time we do it, it will be better. And when they hear it that way, it's not so much just coming down to hammer me or something. It's, it's we're trying to improve the organization. He's trying to improve me. He's trying to improve my team. He's trying to improve whatever it is. Yeah, you're explaining the why to them, which also builds trust. Part of the communications. That's so good. Jeff, more so than anyone I know, I so am inspired by your spirit of resilience. I mean, I'm I'm taking away today like really four key things. You know, just your your mindset drives so much of that resilience. Your your mindset around I knew I could do it. I just didn't know what the path was. So you started moving. And then one of the first things you did is you thought about who were the other people who have been through this. So you you found your people. And then you you celebrated small wins along the way to keep yourself going. And this last bit you've just been talking about is you show accountability through your care and building trust with people. I mean, and that brings out the best in the people that you're leading. So thank you so much for sharing these great insights. Thank you for sharing your story. Your story is so inspiring. Well, thank you very much. If our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Jeffrey Mevin on LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.